Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we come before a part of the Bible that most of us may know quite well. But Father, we would ask tonight that you won't let over-familiarity with this passage stop us from hearing what you want to say to us. Give us ears that are open to your word. Give us hearts that will take it on board and give us lives that will live differently in light of what you say to us. Father, speak to us tonight, we pray, and help us to pay attention to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three kings. Where do we find them in the Bible? Okay, three kings. I don't know what comes to your mind. My mind, the first place I go is the birth of Jesus, the three kings who travel from the east. But the the problem is, well, there's a number of problems. The the first problem with these three kings is that they probably weren't kings. The, The Bible doesn't call them kings. The Bible calls them magi. They were wise men. They were astrologers. They were wise. And the second problem with these three kings is that there probably wasn't even three of them. Because the Bible tells us that the kings came and they gave three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, but it doesn't say there were three kings. There could have been more of them or there could have been less. But there are three kings in the Bible. And we find them here. We've met two of them already. We met Saul, the first king of the United Kingdom of Israel. And then we met David, the second king of the United Kingdom of Israel. And tonight we meet Solomon, the third king of the United Kingdom of Israel. And I'm saying United Kingdom of Israel because as we've seen from the video, after Solomon, the kingdom divides. It splits in two. It has a north and a south, two different governments, two different currencies. You get the picture? I don't know. We're familiar with that, aren't we, on this island? One land, but two different parts. And that's what happens after Solomon. That's what happens with the next line of kings. And so, it's amazing, isn't it? Think of where we've come from. Think of that promise, you know, thousands of years ago to Abraham. Think of the journey that we've been on to finally get them into the promised land, and they only are united for three kings, for David and Saul, and Saul and David and Solomon. Last time we met David, and uh, if you read the rest of 2 Samuel, you're going to see what happens at the end of his reign. You're going to see how it finishes up. And then at the start of uh, 1 Kings, we see David is coming to the end of his life, and there's a number of things that happen. The the first thing that happens is that David is dying, and one of his sons, who's younger than Solomon, tries to take the throne. Adonijah, he attempts to take the throne from David, and you've got this on your handout. And then as he's kind of preparing to take the throne, he's planning to, to sort of declare himself the new king, Bathsheba speaks to David, and Bathsheba says to David, David, do you not remember You said that Solomon was going to be the next king. And so what does David do? While Adonijah is planning to take the throne, David gets Solomon's coronation parade sorted. And Solomon has this big parade and he's crowned the new king with the blessing of David. And then David is dying. And as we heard in the video, he he says to Solomon, Solomon, be faithful to the Lord. Live for the Lord. Keep the commandments of the Lord. Walk in the ways of the Lord. But hey, Solomon, I have a few boys I want you to sort out as well. And it's a strange thing at the end of David's life. Here was this man who who walked after God, and yet at the end of his life, there's this tinge of character as he wants his enemies to be assassinated. Then David passes away, and he dies, and Adonijah thinks, you know what, my dad's dead now, I'm going to take the throne now. But again, that coup is, is thwarted 
by Solomon and Adonijah is executed. And then, as we're going to see in the rest of Solomon's life, he, he gets off to a kind of a, a strange start. He marries the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt. And he marries her so that he's aligned with Egypt. He, he, he marries her so that there's, he's got a big military might in his back pocket should he need it. If there's going to be another rebellion, he's going to have the military might to quash it. And yet it's interesting, isn't it? Because at the start of chapter 3, we're told that Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And he loves the Lord so much that he, 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 did, he made all of these sacrifices to the Lord. Now, again, that's a little bit strange because he wasn't commanded to make these sacrifices. It's nowhere in the book of Leviticus. But yet, he, he loves the Lord and he, he makes all of these sacrifices to the Lord. And we're told that one day, he, he sacrificed to the Lord. And then he has this dream. And in this dream, God comes to him. And we don't know what form it takes, but he hears God's voice. And God makes Solomon an incredible offer. An incredible offer. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Ask what I shall give you. Solomon, ask for whatever you want. Solomon, ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. It's like something, you know, the genie of the lamp says, isn't it? I grant you a wish, anything you want, it can be yours. And, and whenever someone has a genie, you know, in the, in the movies, they, they ask for riches or they ask for fame or, or they ask for something for themselves. And Solomon could have asked for those things. But what do we see? What we see is that he doesn't ask for those things. Instead, Solomon asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom. Uh, and you see his request in verse 9. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Oh God, I, I want wisdom from you. I want to know how to do this job. I, I want to know how to distinguish between right and wrong. I want wisdom from you, Lord. And what I love about Solomon is, is why he wants this wisdom. And there's and two reasons that he wants it. The first reason is this. He, is, he, he knows that he's not king because of his abilities. Jurgen Klopp is the Liverpool manager at the minute, and he's doing amazing, isn't he? And we know why Liverpool hired him, don't we? Because he's incredible. He's got this ability to manage a team and to motivate a team. He's a man who is able for the task. He's incredible. Some businesses, they hire the, the best leaders in the world because of their abilities. They're amazing. They're super at what they do. They're gifted. They're talented. They're brilliant. But it's really interesting because at the start of Solomon's reign, when he starts this new job as king, he recognizes that he's not a man of great ability. He recognizes that God hasn't picked him to be king because he's the best or the brightest or, or the most super leader. He recognizes that the only reason he's king is because God promised David that one of his sons would be king. And, and you can see that humility in verse 6. 
He says, you've shown great, great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. God, you've been so faithful to my dad and you've kept your promise to him and that's the reason why I'm on the throne. And I know that, Lord. I know that the only reason I'm here is because you fulfilled your promise to my dad. It's amazing, isn't it? We have real humility here from Solomon as he starts. We'll see he's not always humble. We'll see that changes in later years, but at the start of his reign, he's humble and he recognizes that he's not the most able man for this job. And so he asks God for wisdom to do it. And then we see the second reason why he asks for wisdom. And the second reason is that he feels out of his depth. He feels completely and totally overwhelmed by the task that's ahead of him. Have a look at verse 7. He says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. So, okay, Lord, you've made me king now. But look how he describes himself. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. God, you've made me king here, and I feel like a little child wearing a crown. You've made me king here, and I feel completely out of my depth. I don't know how to do this. Look how many people there are. Look how many people I'm to govern. Look how many people I'm to rule over. Look at all these decisions I need to make. Look at all the responsibility on my shoulders. Lord, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I feel totally out of my depth here. It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's what God does. Sometimes he raises us up to do things where we feel completely out of our depth. Sometimes he gives us responsibilities for things and we feel completely at sea at them. And why is that? It's so we turn to him to ask him to help us to do them. It's so we rest on him, so we we float on him, so we let him be the one who helps us do the work. And here it's lovely because Solomon, at the start of this new job as king, he turns to God and he says, Lord, please give me wisdom because I don't have the ability for this. And I feel out of my depth. And he asks for wisdom. And if you look at the specific, he says, Therefore, grant your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. Lord, help me to think well. Help me to think in a right way. Help me to think correctly when it comes to governing this people. Help me to make good decisions. I I need your help, Lord, because I'm going to have to make countless decisions as the king and and I don't know how to do that, so, so give me understanding in my mind. And then also, that I may discern between good and evil. Help me work out what's good and evil. Whenever people come to me for judgment, you see, that was one of the roles of the king. People would come to the king, and they'd want judgment. He was like the, the, the high court, uh, the, the leader of the high court, the, 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 the QC, the main judge. 
any cases that were too difficult to solve at a, at a local level, they would end up before the king. And he says, Lord, help me to, to figure out when I'm judging what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. He asks for wisdom. He asks the Lord for wisdom for this new task. Um, I found a, a couple of lovely definitions of wisdom and discernment and different things this week, and I've put a couple of them down for you. Unfortunately, I can't remember where I got the quotes or who said them, but they're good, so I'm sorry there's no source. But I love this. Wisdom is lived knowledge. It's the ability to transpose what we know here to that problem over there. Wisdom is to be able to take the things we know about God, the things we know about life, the things that we know, and actually apply them to problems we see in the world, in our life, in the world around us. It's taking head knowledge and making it applicable. And then there was another great little quote about discernment. Discernment is knowing God's will in particular situations. We've all been there, haven't we? Lord, what is it you want me to do here? What is it you want me to do? Faced with a, a, a situation in work and, and there's different options, Lord, what is it you want me to do here? Faced with a, a tricky relationship or a tricky relationship problem, Lord, what is it you want me to do here? Some of you are students or young adults and you're working out careers. What is it you want me to do here? Some of you are retired or retiring. Lord, what is it you want me to do here? Throughout life, we face situation after situation where we need God's guidance. Lord, what is it you want us to do? And that's what Solomon asks for. He, he asks for that wisdom. He asks for the ability to know what way to go. And I think there's a lesson here for us as we look at the, the start of Solomon's ruler's king. And what the lesson is, is that it takes humility to ask for wisdom. It takes humility to ask for wisdom. There's an epidemic amongst young men that I've noticed. And the epidemic is that many young men today think they know everything. But actually, it's not just an epidemic amongst young men, isn't it? Because there's middle-aged men and there's older men and there's also young women and middle-aged women and old women who think they know everything. And the problem is that whenever we think we know it all, when we think we know everything, then we don't turn to God and seek His wisdom. We don't turn to His Word to find out what He says. In our prideness and our arrogance, we think we know it all, and we make decisions based on what we know. And what I love is that the start of, of Solomon's kingship, he has this humility, and he, he prays, and he says to God, Lord, I feel like a little child. I feel out of my depth, and I need your wisdom. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me in this job. And what I love is that God grants that request. He hears Solomon's prayer, and he says, I'm going to give it to you, Solomon. 
that wisdom you've asked for, I'm going to give it to you. And not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm also going to give you honor, and I'm going to give you riches. Uh, You can see that in verses 10 to 14. If you have a look at the text, you'll see it in 10 to 14. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked yourself for understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none will be like you has ever before you and none shall arise after you. I give you also what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God gives him wisdom. And God gives him riches. And God gives him honor. One thing that I like to do is please people. Um, Do you like to please people? I think most of us do. We, we like to please people, don't we? We're, we're all ple- people pleasers, or most of us are. Um, and the problem with being a minister is that you can't please everybody. I, I'm learning this, and I've learned this. Um, someone once said to me, they said, Marty, if you want to please everybody, go and sell ice cream. And that's fair enough, isn't it? Because no matter what you do in life, at home, uh, at work, wherever you are, you cannot please everybody even though you want to please people. I love to please people. But as a minister and as a Christian, there's actually only one that I really need to please. And that's God. And that's the same for you, isn't it? There's only one we really need to please. And that is God. And I don't know if you noticed from the text. You might not have picked it up. But if you have a look very closely at verse 10, do you see what it says? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for wisdom. I love pleasing people. And I love pleasing the Lord. And here we see that Solomon's request for wisdom pleased the Lord. Why was that? Why did it please him? Well, I think it pleased the Lord for for two or three reasons, but I'll give you two and maybe the third, depending how the first two go. But the first reason I, I think it pleased the Lord was because of the request. You see, what Solomon was asking for, he was asking for something that was to align himself with God's purposes and God's plans. He was asking for wisdom because he wanted to do a good job for God. Okay, Lord, you've made me the king, and I want to do a good job of that because that's your will. That's what you want. You want a godly king in place. You want the good of your people. And so he asks for wisdom so that he can do his job better. And it pleases the Lord. He doesn't want wisdom so he can say, hey, I am the wisest man on earth. He doesn't want wisdom so he can go on all the quiz shows and answer all the questions. He doesn't want wisdom so he can write a, a multi-million pound best-selling book and promote himself as, as this great Solomon the Great, the wisest of all, although he does write lots and lots of stuff. But that isn't why he wants this wisdom. He wants this wisdom so that he can do a good job of the thing that God has called him to do. He wants this wisdom 
for the good of God's people. And then we also see the, the motive behind it. And it's tied in with that. The motive is about God. It's about God's glory. I, I want to be a wise king for your glory. I want to be a wise king so that you get glory from what I'm doing. It's pleasing because it's not about him. It's about others and it's about God. And I think it's also pleasing to the Lord because it's Solomon saying, I want to live your way, Lord. I don't want to do the king the way I want to do it. I want to be the king the way you want me to be him. And what I love is this, is, is that, that God says that it pleases him for us to ask for wisdom. In fact, God specifically encourages us to ask for wisdom. Have a look at James 1 and 5 on your handout. It says there, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James says, listen, folks, you all need wisdom. We all need wisdom. Whenever you need it, ask God for it. And he's not stingy. He's got so much wisdom to give. He's not stingy. He's generous. And without finding fault in you, he'll give you wisdom. It will be given to you. But then it does also call us to check our motives because James 4.3 says, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it's this balancing act. Ask God for wisdom. He's got lots of it to give. When you need it, ask for it. But check your motives. Why are you asking for it? For your glory or for his? Just as a little side point, sometimes how we think about God affects how we relate to him. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you have any friends and you think of them as being stingy. Got any friends like that? Know any Scottish people? Sorry, any Scottish people in the room? <laughs> oh, he knows plenty. <laughs> yeah. I know you are, so that's it. But living in Scotland, you know what I'm talking about, you know? But if you're out with a stingy person, you're never going to say to them, okay, you know, you're, you're not going to expect them to pay for the meal you've just enjoyed, are you? You know, at best, they're going to turn around and go, okay, we'll go halfers on that. You know, and at worst, they're going to say, thanks for taking me out. That was lovely. And that affects how we relate to them. It, ex it, it affects how, what we expect from them. If we think of someone as being stingy, we don't expect very much from them. And sometimes I wonder, do we think of God as being stingy? Do we think of him as this tight-fisted father who, who's got this stuff, but, you know, you really have to, you know, you really have to be desperate to get it out of him. And even if you ask, he might not give it to you. But that's not the picture of God in the Bible. The picture of God in the Bible is this generous father who, who just loves to give to his kids. Just loves to give them wisdom. I'm not going to lie. You see, if Joshua ever asks me for wisdom, you know, if you ever ask for advice on something, I, I don't know if that day will ever come. But if that day ever comes, you know what I'm not going to say? I'm not going to say, sorry, Joshua. Nope. Can't, not saying anything to you. I'm going to tell him everything I know about that. I'm going to share whatever pitiful wisdom I have with him. I won't hold any of it back. I'll tell him everything I can think of to help him. 
And folks, what I want you to have in your mind is, is this picture of God who is a generous God, who is a loving heavenly Father who, who loves to give generously to His children the things they need, who loves to give wisdom generously, because that's the picture we have of Him. And also, don't imagine God being this dad who's always so busy at work he can't give or he can't speak to you. There are some dads like that, aren't they? They're, they're workaholics. They're always working. You can never interrupt them. You can never kind of, it's, it's a bother to them if you interrupt them, but God's not like that. He's not like that. He, he loves it when his kids run to him and ask for help or wisdom or advice or whatever it is they need. Tonight, maybe you need to hear that. God's a loving heavenly father and he, and he loves you and he loves it when you run to him with your problems and with, with your needs. Where do we find this wisdom? Where do we find this wisdom from God? It's interesting with Solomon, isn't it? Because he, he, he asked for wisdom and it's kind of like it's just downloaded into his brain somehow, isn't it? I mean, this is some sort of supernatural wisdom and it's kind of like he goes from from not being wise, and this guy who, who feels like a little child is suddenly having been uploaded with all of this wisdom. And as we're going to see later on, he writes the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and he, he writes all of this amazing stuff. And it's like it's just downloaded to his brain as he observes the world. He, he sees how it works, and he's able to understand, and he writes this down. But where do we find wisdom? We find it in the Word. We find it in the Scriptures. We find it in the Bible. There may be times when we need discernment on the spot and God guides us. But the place where we find wisdom is in the Scripture. Psalm 19 verse 7 says this, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Folks, if you want to live a wise life, if you want to understand the world we live in, if you want to understand how to make good decisions, if you want to understand what your priorities should be, if you want to be wise, you could read all the bestsellers in the world, but they'll, they've nothing on the Bible. They've nothing on the Scriptures. God is the author of life. He knows how life is to be lived. And in the Scriptures, He gives us wisdom. So Solomon, he gets this wisdom. He also gets honor. He becomes famous. People come to visit him to hear of his wisdom. He gets riches. He becomes very wealthy. We read it in, in chapter 10. And then the last thing we see in this passage and this is actually the most important thing in the passage, is that Solomon exercises the wisdom God gives him. He puts the wisdom he's given into practice. And we see that with the story of the prostitutes coming to him, and he exercises the wisdom that he's given. Every January, sports stores have brilliant sales. And I don't mean cutting prices. I mean they sell a lot of stuff. Go up to Podium Sport in January and there'll be people in there buying running machines. There'll be people in there buying those big, you know, free weights. There'll be people in there buying treadmill. Everything you can think of, any sort of sports equipment, any of the sort of home gym stuff. If you go up to Podium Sport, they're selling loads of it in January. And likewise, I guarantee you, you go to Verlissnashara in, in January to the new leisure center. Go over in January 2021 and you'll find a queue of people signing up for the gym. They've got this stuff. They've got this gym membership. They've got these new weights. They've got this treadmill. They've got it. But in February, they're not using it. 
They've got it, but they're not using it. And Solomon here in chapter 3, he gets wisdom from God and he puts it into practice. He gets wisdom from God and he lives in light of it. It changes his life. It changes how he lives from from Sunday to Sunday, if you like. What God says has an impact when the rubber hits the road in his everyday life. He exercises the wisdom he's been given. And folks, that's really the the place I want to land tonight. And it's this, the wisdom that God gives you, what are you doing with it? Week after week after week, you you come and you hear his word preached. And he gives you wisdom on how he wants you to live. Are you exercising that wisdom? When you read the Bible every day or every other day or every week or however often you read it, and God tells you something about how to live his way in it, do you just simply let that rest in your head? Or do you let it exercise how you live your life? You see, Solomon in chapter 3, he, he exercises the wisdom that God gives him. And really sadly, by the end of his life, he doesn't. By the end of his life, he thinks he knows it all. By the end of his life, he dismisses the wisdom God gives. But folks, that's the challenge. Will you not only hear what God says? Will you not only know what God says? Will you not only understand with your mind the wisdom that God gives you, but will you put it into practice? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've said so much to us in the Bible. Thank you that you've given us so much direction and so much guidance about every aspect of life. Father, help us not to be foolish and dismiss what you say. Help us not to be foolish and ignore what you say. But instead, Lord, help us to be wise, reading your word, understanding what it says, and putting it into action. Father, for each of us, we pray you'd make us wise people. Give us wisdom. Help us see things from your point of view and help us live life your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.